Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. Um, this week, I'm going to touch on a couple of news stories that I think were kind of a big deal um, over the past week. And then I do want to follow up a little bit on what's going on at IHOP, just as I think the whole, you know, everybody who's part of the prayer movement or, you know, sympathetic to it um, is affected by what's going on at IHOP and with Mike Bickle. So I think it's going to be a process. Um, so I, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. But first, let's talk about the news items. First of all, um, Trump was sued in a New York court of fraud, for fraud. And the idea is this, that he claimed that his property in Florida called Mar-a-Lago was, you know, worth something like $200 million. It might have been more than that. Um, but essentially, um, they are saying that he inflated the price of his property to get a loan from the bank. Because um, the way it works, if you're a real estate developer, is that you go to the bank and say, hey, I'd like to get a loan. And... Um, you know, as collateral, there'll be this this property that I own, right? And this shows that you know I'm getting income from this property, so you can tell that I'm I'm good for the I'm good for the loan. And then the bank, um, you know, they go, well, you say it's worth two hundred million dollars, but they go and investigate and they try and they do their due diligence to find out how much they think it's worth, right? And then they give you a loan based upon you know what they find. So that that's kind of how you know, real estate loans work as far as I understand. I'm not a real estate developer by any means. Um, but basically, um, the lawsuit said that Trump basically lied about how much his, his property was worth in order to secure a larger loan from the bank. And um, Trump was found guilty, and now he owes, you know, something like 300 almost $400 million. And some people say it's it's more than that once you account for interest and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, these types of cases are, are really difficult because, you know, unless you are in this industry or understand, you know, the nuances of the law, it's easy just to be like, well, I, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, but from what I understand, digging around on this case, it does it doesn't seem like the facts of the case are too hard to understand. Um, here is a clip by Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary is an investor, real estate developer. He's on the show Shark Tank um, with Mark Cuban, right? Where they, um, you know, they let entrepreneurs pitch their ideas and they decide whether they want to invest in their companies. Um, but I've seen him, you know, here and there around the internet talking about different business, you know, things. He's a, a popular business commentator. And um, here's a clip from him talking about this case. Well, let's leave out Trump for a minute. And let's leave out politics and just talk about what happens in real estate development anywhere. So if you're a developer and you've got a building on, on a block anywhere in America and it's worth, let's say, $500 million and you want to build a building right beside it, you go to the bank and say, this building is worth $500 million. I'd like to borrow a construction finance loan against this asset. And I want you to tell me it's worth 500 million too. And the bank negotiates with you and says, well, no, we think it's worth 400 million. And you fight it out. You're always trying to show your assets in the brightest light with the sunshine you can possibly determine for them. You want them to be worth the very most because you're only going to get a 40 or 50% loan to value, as it's called. Then you borrow that money. 
In the case of a $500 million asset, maybe you get $250 million and you build a new building with a construction finance loan. And so that's what this case is all about. What, and, and by the way, forget about Trump. Every single real estate developer everywhere on earth does this. They always talk about their asset being worth a lot and the bank says no. And that's just the way it is. So in this case, when I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not pro or con, or I don't care about the politics, who lost money? Nobody. The bank got paid back the construction finance loan, and a new building was built. And if, if you're going to sue this case and win, you got to sue every real estate developer everywhere. This is all they do. This is what they do all day long, every day. So I don't think this thing will ever survive appeal, regardless of what the fine is. This doesn't even make sense. All right. So what O'Leary is saying here is that the problem with this case is that Donald Trump, um, he, did, he didn't do anything egregiously wrong. That's the case that O'Leary is making. Because what O'Leary is saying is that all real estate developers do this, which makes perfect logical sense right? Like if I'm trying to get a loan from the bank, I'm not going to undervalue my property, right? I'm sure every real estate developer overvalues their property and it's up to the bank to verify, right? And assess, make their own assessment of what the property is worth. And that's basically, you know, Kevin O'Leary's point that every real estate developer does this and the damages are so ridiculous. Um, that this is clearly politically motivated, right? That is, you know, the, the clear implication of what he's saying, that this is a political hit job. And um, this has been happening again and again and again and again to Trump. And, you know, what Trump has been saying is that that he is kind of like the shield. Like, they're, they're going after him, but really it's because they're going after you know, conservatives, and he's kind of in their way, right? Something like that. And I, I think he's largely right about that, okay? I think he's largely right about that. Um, the reality is this, I would not be able to run for president because I would be hit with, you know, one of the things that, that hit Donald Trump, you know, if, if they just found me guilty of something for a million dollars, right? I'd be done, <laughs> right? Um, Trump is a billionaire, which is the only reason he can... You know, he can take this kind of political fire and not immediately be, you know, destroyed by it. And um, this is unfortunately the state of, of where the U.S. is, okay? We have, we clearly have corruption here, okay? We clearly have corruption. It is clear that Trump is being targeted for political reasons. You know, some people make the argument that, you know, Trump does so many illegal things and he never would have been convicted except that he became really loud and, you know, ran for president. So now he's a target. And so now he's just being convicted of stuff that he otherwise would not be convicted for. And I have to say that does not sound convincing to me at all. It does not sound convincing to me at all. And, and the reason is because we know that there are darker forces that are doing underhanded things. And the reason we know that is because the, the evidence has really come out. There's enough evidence at this point that it honestly should be obvious to anybody who is not really compromised in their bias, okay? And the type of evidence I'm talking about in particular is um, the censorship apparatus, the Twitter files, okay? So when Elon Musk 
bought Twitter um, and they dove into the code at Twitter, what they found in the code and in many of the emails on Twitter servers is that the government had been pressuring Twitter along with other social media companies to censor conservative voices. And there was a wide range of applications here, but some of the more high-profile cases are things like the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? Hunter Biden's laptop was you know, being worked on by some computer tech guy, and he found a bunch of, um, I think, like child pornography and, and other stuff on it that was very alarming. He turned it into the FBI. The FBI had the laptop. Um, the Washington Post, or excuse me, not the Washington Post, the New York Post, which is the, the oldest newspaper in America, I believe. Um, it is a very old newspaper, but it, it, it leans a little bit more conservative. They were going to publish a story about the newspaper. This was this was really like the October surprise before the election. Okay, This was going to dramatically impact um, the election results because this is one of those bombshell reports that comes out before the election, right? And what happened was that Twitter, along with all the other social media stories, they killed the story. So Twitter, I believe, they they um, blocked the the New York Post's entire account, right? All mention of the story were essentially blocked. You had all of these so-called experts coming out and saying that this was clearly Russian propaganda. Um, and then, you know, fast forward past the election and more details start to leak that, you know, no, the story was real. The laptop was real. Everything was legit. This was clearly... A uh, this was clearly censorship, okay. And it would be one thing if it was a lot of well-intentioned people just making a mistake and getting it wrong. That's not what this was. This was not um, well-intentioned people making a mistake, okay. This was people in full knowledge of what they were doing, openly lying publicly, and then government agents were pressuring social media companies to actively censor this. And this was just one incident, but they were doing this on a wide scale, okay? So what this shows is there is a, there is a nefarious force in the government that is censoring, that is doing this type of thing. Could, could they also be involved in helping to orchestrate all of these Trump you know, lawsuits and things like that? Of course. Of course, of course, at this point, no one should trust the government. Unfortunately, what we have is a lot of people in the country that because their political interests align with this force, meaning they, they hate Trump or they're more progressive or whatever, it doesn't, they're like, whatever, that's okay. Or they're, they're not going to believe it or they're not going to look into the evidence. They essentially do not care that there is this apparatus of censorship that is coming out of our own government, stifling free speech, purposefully trying to rig an election at least as far as you know media censorship is involved that is clearly happening okay if we know that's happening it is not far-fetched to think that more stuff is happening okay it's not um when all these reports are to come out in the 2020 election about mail fraud right because this was the first election where we had all of these you know, um, mail-in ballots. And I remember watching video of Democratic politicians saying that mail-in voting was vulnerable to fraud. 
I saw all these Democrats saying that prior to the election. And then all of a sudden after the election, all you hear is that it was the safest, most secure election ever. That it's it's shady, all right? It's super shady. Everything that's going on with this stuff is super shady. Tucker Carlson had an interview this week on X, which is, you know, formerly known as Twitter, with a man named Mike Benz. I would highly recommend that everyone watch this interview. Just Google Tucker Carlson or, or go to Tucker, Tucker, Tucker Carlson's X page because Google might not lead you to the right thing. Unfortunately, this is the state of the internet at this point, right? Go to X, search for Tucker Carlson, look at his most recent interviews, and look for his interview with Mike Benz. Mike Benz is the director of Foundation for Freedom Online. He previously worked um, for the government, I believe for the State Department, but I'm not sure. But basically what Mike Benz does is he lays out the entire censorship apparatus, how it happened, what happened, um, and it is an incredible narrative. Okay, it is an incredible narrative. And it's incredible because it seems to tie together all of these things that we have been suspecting for a long time now. It, t it weaves it into a believable narrative that makes sense. Okay, I'm going to give you a really shorthand version. But obviously, look, I'm a pastor, all right? <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm not an expert on government shadow operations and these types of things, okay? Um, but we have to explain what has been going on in our nation, okay? And there's more to this from a spiritual perspective that I want to get into in a second. But I want to give the bare bones picture uh, that he is presenting here. And what he's basically saying is that there is a, a part of the government that is behind all of this tech censor censorship apparatus, okay? And in fact, what the case that he makes is that you had all these State Department officials under Obama and Bush, and, you know, Hillary Clinton was the, the head of the State Department, and these people, what their, what their job was, was to overthrow foreign governments. And so he talks about how, you know, in the early days of the Internet, the government was very much pro-free speech on the internet. And that's because what it allowed them to do is that in foreign nations, making the argument for free speech enabled them to highlight right, and proliferate the voices that um, would lead to their favored political outcomes in other countries, right? This is like CIA, CIA stuff, okay? This is, this is you know, the, the purpose of propaganda. You know, this is what the Cold War was, right? When America was at war with Russia or with the USSR in the Cold War, we weren't openly at war, but what we were doing is it was really an ideological and economic battle. We were fighting the ideology of communism and the spread of communism around the world. And so really that's a war of information. And so our job was to try and make, you know, communism look bad everywhere in the world, and their job was to make capitalism look bad everywhere in the world, right? So Mike Ben says, in the beginning of the Internet days, the whole idea of Internet free speech was great for the government because it gave them avenues to help launch these types of democratic revolutions in many other nations of the world. And this is essentially what our CIA and Defense Department were doing, right? This is how we fight wars in the 21st century. And to be clear, I'm not talking about hot wars. This is how we fight our political battles. And then if it all goes wrong, then we, then we fight a hot war, right? But most of the fighting that we do 
abroad is really trying to manipulate the politics of various regions in order to, to see governments pop up that are going to be more friendly to us or do what we want, right? That's, that's the idea. But what he talks about is that Internet 2.0 changed the game, all right? Social media changed the game because what happened with social media is all of a sudden you had individual voices become more influential than these long-standing institutions, all right? And these long-standing institutions like the New York Times, the Washington Post, right? These types of organizations, they had a working relationship with the government, all right? They shared information, and we've seen a lot of that, all right? But when you had these individuals start to become big on social media, and all of a sudden, they have way more influence than a place like the New York Times, all of a sudden what happened is you started to have these populist movements arise. And, and the two things that really shook up the game, number one was Brexit, right? When the, when the people of Britain voted to, be, to exit from the European Union, right? This threw a wrench into the plans of you know, the State Department, NATO, all of these power groups in these, in these Western governments that had largely been on the same page. Now all of a sudden... The people of Britain don't want to be part of the European Union, be part of this coalition of democracy around the world, right? And then the second thing was the, the election of Trump. And this radically changed the game. And so what happened essentially is that these people that were in power, they launched this information shadow campaign against Trump, against Brexit, saying this was all Russian propaganda, Going and, and basically making the argument that misinformation and disinformation was the greatest threat to democracy. And Mike Benz really goes into to great detail talking about how what they did was they took these the, the apparatus that the U.S. uses to fight political wars abroad, and they made the argument that these populist voices at home empowered through things like social media are actually the greatest threat to democracy on the planet, right? And so now what they did was they turned the weapons of external political warfare, they turned them inward against these voices that attacked so-called democratic institutions. And they then they changed the definition of democracy to not be the vote of the people, but to be these democratic institutions that the, this is democracy, meaning the positions of power they held, this is democracy. So this is why when Trump talks about draining the swamp, this is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about these people in charge that feel like they have to be in charge for the good of the world. If they're not in charge and their plans don't succeed, then the world is going to fall into evil and chaos. And that's why any threat to their local power base, even if it's a democratic election at home, if we were to vote those people out of power, they would see that as attacking democracy itself. And now they feel justified in censoring these voices, and rigging elections to stay in power to quote-unquote protect democracy, right? And he's talking about this in this interview, and, and Tucker Carlson's stopping him and saying, he says, he, he says, it doesn't sound like you're describing democracy here, which is what we're ostensibly supposed to be having right here in America. And Mike Benz res responds, I'm, what I'm describing is essentially military rule, right? This is, this is the Pentagon. This is the Department of Homeland Security, Right, This is them working against a segment of the U.S. population to make sure that they don't get power. And that's what we have 
in America in the 21st century. And look, it, it, it's a theory, okay? It's a theory. But I have to say, it. I think it's true, okay? I think it's true. I'm not generally given to wild conspiracy theories, okay? I'm not, you know, into the flat earth stuff. I'm not into the, you know, we never landed a man on the moon. I, I've just never really looked too hard into any of those things, okay? You know, some people who are really into it would be like, Pastor Dennis, you are, you've been deceived for a long time. It's possible, <laughs> okay? It's possible. I'm just saying, generally speaking, I I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt and... You know, there, there's a quote, you know, it says you shouldn't think of people as being malicious. Um, you should assume rather that they're they're more just dumb. <laughs> and I generally go by that rule, okay? I think people are more just dumb and make dumb decisions out of, out of a, a good intentions a lot of times rather than being purposefully malicious, okay? Um, but I've been so disturbed by what I've seen over the past 10 years in America. So disturbed, okay? Um... And I keep seeing evidence after evidence after evidence of it, right? And even in cases in the 2020 election, like we never got clear evidence that there was mail fraud, right? I don't have clear evidence that there was mail fraud, okay? But I still think there probably was, <laughs> okay? There, because the motive was too strong, the incentives were too strong, and, and the way that it was covered up was too strong. Does that make sense? It would be a different thing if if... Lots of people were like, you know what? We understand that mail-in ballots are very vulnerable to fraud, like I heard them saying before, right? If they'd said that and said, hey, there's real reason to be concerned here, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that can't happen, but because of COVID, we feel like we have to do this, right? If that was the line of argumentation, there, it would... I would feel <laughs> much more assuaged, but that wasn't the line of argumentation. The line of argumentation was essentially, this is the safest, most secure election in history, and anyone who questions it is, you know, guilty of treason, essentially. And and literally, this is four years after <laughs> the entire Democratic establishment was saying that the 2016 election was stolen by Russia, <laughs> and that Trump was an illegitimate president, because... Russia put him in power, and we had this huge investigation. <laughs> you know, like it, what I'm saying is that there was clear people were lying, clearly lying. Like it wasn't even a good lie; it was a terrible, open, bald-faced lie, and it was real gaslighting, right? So that those are always signs that they're they're covering up other things. Like when people are willing to let you see a lie, it's because they see that as preferable to seeing something else that they're doing that's actually really nefarious. That's the rule of thumb, okay? And that's what, you know, I've been sensing for really the past 10 years here. Um, and it's what a lot of other people have been sensing too, which is why there's so many people on the right now that do not trust the government, especially when we're talking about the intelligence apparatus like the FBI, okay? There's just been too many evidences that, they are biased in what they're doing, right? And this this is a huge problem. So my encouragement is check out this interview with Mike Benz. I think it's well worth your time. I've actually watched it twice because there's so many details that he's going through. That, um, But what it's doing is it's starting to give a picture to all of this censorship, all of this lying, all of this corruption, all of this swamp stuff 
that so many people have felt for years, but there's, there, in my opinion, there's never been a cohesive narrative to explain all of it, right? This is the first time I felt like there was a narrative that really made sense of the motivations of the people that are involved in this, okay? Um, so check that out, okay? So with what's going on with Trump, this is all I'm going to say. I, I believe that all of this is going to be exposed. I believe that all of it's going to be exposed, right? And what's clear is that any government actors that have been doing this, they should go to jail, right? This is treason. This is treason. The idea that you can redefine democracy to invalidate an actual election, right? Like this is, you know, this is evil. Um, but unfortunately, this is the kind of stuff that um, the American government has been doing abroad for a long time, right? Like we've been doing this a, a, a long time in the name of fighting communism, right? We felt like we had to do some underhanded things. But the, the truth is this, um, the ends do not justify the means, right? And this is the danger of having that mentality because what starts to happen is you start to become super corrupt into thinking that you're, you know, the world needs you in power. And if you're not in power, all these terrible things are going to happen, okay? It gets to a really evil place. And this is why the founders believe that power corrupts and absolute power, you know, corrupts absolutely, all right? That was coming out of the Enlightenment, those ideas. And this, this is why we developed this government with so many checks and balances and rotating leadership to prevent these people from becoming megalomaniacs. And that's what this is. This is megalomania, all right? This is despotism when you feel like you have to be in power, or the world's going to go bad. No. No, you don't have to be in power. All right? And we're very concerned. A huge portion of the American society is very concerned with how dishonest and corrupt our government has become. There must be a reckoning. Okay? There must be a reckoning. And this is something that we have to pray for. And I, I do want to get into the spiritual component of this because I believe there is a principle that the dynamics that we see in the church manifest themselves in the nation. All right? Meaning, if we're seeing all of this corruption and control in the governance of the nation, I believe it is safe to assume that it is a reflection of the same kind of stuff in the church. All right, and I say this because, you know, I was just talking with a friend of mine, and I'll say, I'll, I'll say this: in my life, I have had numerous seasons where the Lord has pulled me out of ministry to take a season out of the limelight where I'm really healing <laughs> okay because i've had to deal with a number of controlling leaders in my life okay and it's hard because it's not like i know what's going on at every church and every ministry every church and every ministry is different they all have their own issues so what i've experienced is not necessarily indicative of of you know the larger body of christ and what we're saying but what i can say is this i've seen enough of this stuff that there is clearly, okay, a problem in the American church that God wants to fix when it comes to leaders getting power hungry and controlling and manipulative, protecting their ministries, protecting their power, protecting their finances, even willing to lie, to throw people under the bus, all this kind of stuff. And it's gross. It's so gross, all right? As a, as a pastor, this is why I think it's so essential that we not see our ministries or our funds as the evidence of our fruitfulness. It's not, okay? It is not. Our 
the size of our ministry, the size of our funds, the, si- the reach of our influence, the number of followers we have on Instagram, all of that kind of stuff. Okay, let me, let me say this. It is not a sign of fruitfulness. I, I have to emphasize this to anyone that might be involved in church leadership because it is the constant temptation of churches to believe this, okay, and Christian leaders to believe this. In, in my last church, we would have, you know, budget meetings where, you know, once a year, you know, we're setting the annual budget. And my God, it's just like the, you know, the ambition. Because <laughs> the, there's a pie, right? Say the budget is, you know, a million dollars hypothetically, right? It wasn't close to a million dollars, but let's say hypothetically it was a million dollars, right? There's only so much money to go around. So each department has to make the case for why they're, they deserve the money that they're asking for, right? And um, and honestly, it just grieved me every year doing this thing, okay? I told my leaders, and I told, you know, the overseeing elder that was over to my department, I said, I, I tried to make it really clear. We do not need money. We do not need money, right? If there are other ministries that you guys feel like would use the money, well, it's okay. You can give it to them. We I think we accepted budget cuts to my ministry that I was overseeing every year that I was there. I think we got less in terms of budget. Now, that may not be true. It's, uh, I don't remember. But I do I do remember that I, we had a policy, I'm not going to fight for budget. I'm not going to. And that's because, simply put, I don't think budget is that important. I really don't, okay? In a ministry, I don't think having tons of money is, is that important. Is it helpful? For sure. Does it make things easier? Yes, it does, okay? But I am convinced, no, it, it's the power of God, and it's the transformation of people that makes a ministry powerful, okay? And we use money, money, it looks fruitful a lot of times when it's not necessarily fruitful. And what I mean by that is, look, my, my model for this is Jesus, okay? When I look at Jesus' ministry, I do not see a ministry that is overflowing with money, okay? I don't. Did they have some money? Yes, they did right? Jesus put Judas in charge of the money. You'd think if there was one person <laughs> that he would trust with such an important resource in his ministry, it would not be Judas, okay? And in fact, the Bible even tells us that Judas was stealing, <laughs> okay? He was embezzling funds from the ministry account, okay? And all under the eyes of Jesus, right? And I'm sure a lot of people thought to themselves, this guy can't possibly be a true prophet when his treasurer is embezzling funds. But the truth is, I think the reason why Jesus put Judas in, in charge of the money is because the money is not that important, okay? Money is what unspiritual people think is important, all right? I'm not, I'm not trying to say it has zero importance, all right? But I am trying to bring down the estimation that people have of it a lot of times, all right? No, Money is not that important. We should absolutely not be promoting people to positions of eldership in the church because they're rich. In fact, in my opinion, all right, we should we should be more hesitant to promote somebody to an eldership position in the church if they are rich. We should be far more hesitant, okay? Because the danger is that we can be tempted by a person's money, okay? In my opinion, that should count as a strike against an elder if they have a lot of money. Now, to be clear, 
All right. That doesn't mean we should bar any anybody with money from becoming an elder per se. I'm not necessarily saying that, but I am saying that there is a temptation in so many ministries to promote people for the sake of money so you can get their money because that's what you want. And that's a bad sign already. That's my point, okay? That's a bad sign. And it will lead to drama later on. And th there's a reason why there's so much drama and factions in, in so many churches, all right? We cannot be promoting people to positions of authority for things like the money they have, okay? I say all of this to say, all right, I think there's such a huge problem here because I have experienced a lot of control in working with different leaders in the body of Christ. I do say that I do, you know, I, I think, you know, because I work with a lot of Korean leaders, <laughs> I think this is part of, you know, one of the weaknesses of our culture, okay? But when we're looking at IHOP, when we're looking at a lot of other ministries, there's a lot of control aspects that seem to be part and parcel of these issues, okay? And I need to be clear up front, look, a leader can have control issues and still be a phenomenal leader in a lot of areas. That's absolutely true, okay? And that's painful. That's a painful truth. Because unfortunately, the way it works with controlling leaders is they abuse people that get in their way, right? That's part of the control aspect. So the people that get abused, well, obviously, they get hurt and they resent those leaders. And it's, it's a hard truth to understand that those leaders still might be bearing a lot of other fruit and still might have a lot of other good things when they mistreated you so poor, so badly, right? I 100% I get that, okay? And the reason why I say that is because I've had to, to fight as a leader to forgive those other leaders that struggle with control. And the way that you can tell that you forgive somebody completely is that you can see their weaknesses clearly, right? You can see their sins and weaknesses clearly, but you can also appreciate their strengths at the same time, okay? And, and what I mean is that all leaders have weaknesses, all right? All leaders have weaknesses, but what you tend to find in a lot of, you know, more influential leaders is that they struggle with control. And I, I, I do think a big part of that is that the, the same characteristic that makes a person a great manager can make them controlling, right? That controls the dark side of strong management, something like that. Okay, I do think that is a true principle. And so where you get a lot of people that are strong managers, they tend to struggle with control. But we've been having this issue again and again in the church where th this is what I always tell people about character. All right. Char the, the, what, the reason why you want character is because if you have bad or mixed character, what happens is the good that you do, the, the fruit that God bears in your life, is counterbalanced by your bad fruit, right? And I've seen this dynamic with lots of people, extremely gifted, very strong managers, and they're building and building and building, working super hard, and they are they do, they build big organizations, they build great organizations, and then they come crashing down one day, all right? Or they leave a trail of spiritual corpses behind them, meaning people that have gotten so hurt and offended that they walked away from the Lord, and they, you know, gave up, and, and, and look, I'm not s trying to say that we should justify the type of behaviors or put it all on the leader, but I am saying that in, in the ways that leaders sin against people, that's a real wrong, and it does tempt those people, right, to walk away from Jesus, all right, and that's, that's really evil, so look, when we're talking about this IHOP situation, clearly there was, you know, if he's guilty, all right, and I've already made my, my, my position clear about this, that I think he probably is guilty, 
Okay, I'm using the ter terminology probably because I think there should be a full investigation, and we haven't had that yet. We've had some mini investigations. Okay, I think there should be a full, objective investigation so that we can assess as best as we can on this earth what exactly was done and what was not done. All right. Um, But even though I think he probably was guilty of you know the, the sexual stuff, the the even more damaging thing is the cover up, right? The cover up is almost always worse than the crime. That's how this works. All right, it it would be better because look, if if leaders sin and then they're exposed, they can repent and be restored and then maybe go on to have healthy, you know, healthy ministry, healthier ministry in the future, and that's good, okay? I think we can be forgiven of a lot, all right, as long as there's true, genuine repentance. The problem is when there's long periods and uh, drastic cover-ups, right? And that's where I see a lot of the pain, okay, with the people that are at IHOP, and it's not just with IHOP, but this is where I see the pain many times with people who've been abused by spiritual leaders, Right, it's it's the cover up, it's the gaslighting, it's the accusation saying you guys did wrong, right? Instead, and in the whole time, it's it's the leader who has done wrong, right? And um, that's the stuff that is is in my opinion super abusive. Okay, it's super abusive. Right? I remember I was, you know, with this ministry one time, and I, I sat in on a disciplinary meeting that some of the leaders were having with one of the one of the staff members in the group and um man they they just they let him have it i mean you know they just told him um how broken he was how many times he's messed up and you know they told him if if you know he didn't listen to exactly what they said and do exactly what they said, right? Then they would kick him out and then he'd never be able to get healing, right? No ministry would take him. They would tell, you know, other ministries, you know, how messed up he is. And and I remember I sat through this disciplinary session and I was just getting so grieved, just so grieved listening to all this. And, you know, I, I wasn't, really part of Leisure. They had just invited me. I don't know why I was there, to be honest. I don't remember exactly. But I remember listening to this. I was so grieved. And after after the session, I just sat there and said, guys, look, I know it wasn't your intention, but what I feel like I just watched was spiritual abuse. I think you guys just spiritually abused that kid. Right? Because I, I wrote down what they said. And I said, this is what you told him. Right? You told him how he's a screw-up here, how he messed up all these many times, and then you said, unless he you, he does exactly what you say to him, tell him to do, right? And, you know, part of that was that he had to, you know, look happy and look motivated, look all this, but I, but I was telling them, but he's wounded. He's wounded, right? And you're telling him that if, unless he looks like he's, you know, excited and enthusiastic right then you're gonna he's gonna be out you know it's like you're you're commanding him to be fake and i i was just so grieved by what i saw and the thing is i know these leaders were not trying to abuse him that wasn't their intention 
They just don't understand how to discipline. <laughs> and, it's just, and the problem is it's just my opinion, right? Like, am I the guru of discipline? <laughs> you know, but I, I give this as an example because I have seen these types of things in so many leadership apparatuses, okay, in different ways. I'm not saying they all do the exact same thing, right? But it's really hard. It's really hard. I once, I once knew a leader, you know, that got so mad at people that were considering leaving his ministry, you know, and I, and I, look, he's a leader that I respect and that I love, okay? He's got many great qualities, but this, to me, is a clear weakness that he has, and I remember counseling many of the people that were that were semi-abused by him, like, hey, I need to make it clear to you, if you leave his ministry, you're not sinning. It's not sin, okay? It might be a really healthy thing for you to leave his ministry. You're not doing anything wrong by considering it, okay? Why? Because if they don't have somebody to tell them that, what happens is the, it, it becomes abuse. Because, say... Say the Lord is telling me, "Hey Dennis, it's time for you to leave your ministry and go to another gonna go to another ministry." And I go to my leader. I say, "Hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me to leave and go to another ministry." And then he explodes at me or she, you know, explodes at me and says, "It's so sinful. You're always jumping ministries and you don't know what commitment is and you don't know what it means to honor your leaders, right? When you have no patience, right?" And now what happens, now I'm thrown into confusion. Because if I'm at this ministry, I respect my leader, right? We trust our leaders to help us discern right and wrong, what the will of God is and isn't. So that's why when it's a leader who's wrong you, because it's so confusing. All right? And then leaders, they need to be told no sometimes, right? But the problem is when you tell certain leaders no, that's when they really go after you. And I've counseled so many people that have tried to tell leaders no, and they've gotten punished for it, right? Demoted, kicked out of churches. And it's it, it, it's so unhealthy, and it's so common, right? And to be clear, there is an alternate extreme, right, where you have leaders that just don't seemingly care about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, whatever, go ahead. <laughs> it's okay if you go here, you can go elsewhere, whatever. I'm not, you know, that's negligence, right? I'm not saying we should go to the extreme of negligence, okay? But what I'm saying is, I think that when we look at the corruption and the control that's happening in our government right now, I think it's indicative of what's happening in the population of the church, all right, in the churches. And that's that's because we have been in this weird position where the churches were growing, 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 and then what started to happen is the faith of many in America started to turn, right? The, the nation started to turn against, you know, Christianity. And so many churches have been struggling for their attendance, right? And that's the the circumstance where, where many churches, they you know, we act out of insecurity and fear and all this kind of stuff. And so what happens is many leaders become controlling in those types of issues because control is really driven by fear and anxiety, all right? And I have to just lovingly say, look, we've got to let people go. We've got to give them freedom, all right? And then we've got to be real with our weaknesses, okay? And I think, you know, when it comes to IHOP, 
that seems to be the issue. They had this policy where you can't talk about anything. And and I understand it because that's that's an issue that I've run into a couple times in different ministries where I'm trying to work through problems that seem like real problems in the ministry. And then it's basically like, hey, we're not going to talk about this, right? It's being handled. <laughs> it's not your position to to worry or be concerned, right? You need to just, you know, get on board and forgive. And it's like, I've just experienced that type of thing in many churches. And unfortunately, there's just so much pain involved with this. So this is my hope, right? I'm hopeful that God is going to bring a dramatic change in the church. I think this is all part of the process. The nature of rebirths is that there's birthing pains, okay? And so I I am hopeful for all of that. And the trick, I just want to encourage people that are going through this, the trick is, look, forgive people fully, okay? War for the place of full forgiveness where, where you can love them, feel affection for them, appreciate their strengths again while understanding their weaknesses, okay? And what that does is it gives you the wisdom and the maturity and the character that you need to become a great leader yourself. And that's how this works, okay? This is my understanding, all right? I want to touch on a couple questions as we're finishing up here. Um, you know, when we're looking at the IHOP situation, there is a mini debate over over social media because what happened was there was this incredible social media pressure that came on IHOP and on the leadership at IHOP. And um, many people believe that this that the social media pressure was what brought the truth out. And if there hadn't been that kind of social media pressure, then the truth would never have come out because IHOP would have been able to just shut everything down, right? I think there's some truth to that, okay? I think there is some truth to the idea that the social media stuff really helped. Um, I know some people posted that on Mike Brown's um, Twitter account or X account because Mike Brown had said, hey, let's not talk about this on social media. He was trying to shut down, you know, a lot of the the, the accusation stuff that was going on. And, you know, in the aftermath of it, people, you know, I, I looked on his wall and everybody was like, you were wrong on this one, Mike Brown. <laughs> right? You were wrong. It was the it was the social media pressure that brought about righteousness. Okay. And I, I, I do think they have a point. Okay. I do think they have the point. What I will say as a, as a pushback, though, is that I think Mike Brown also has a point. And what I'm getting at is this, that there is always a righteous middle ground between two extremes, okay? And on one extreme is the idea that nobody should have said anything, everyone should have been quiet, they should have trusted leaders to handle it, okay? That's not always true. That's not always true because sometimes leaders act in, in an untrustworthy manner, and that seems to be what happened in the IHOP case, okay? Um, And so for those people that continue to raise their voice for the advocacy group who released their their accusations publicly, okay? And and I've already said when when they did that, I was I was a little mad because they know what they're bringing on, they're bringing on drama, okay? We're going to drama, we're going to have public fighting in the body of Christ, okay? Personally, I don't like that. Okay, I really don't like that because I'm I'm somebody who believes very strongly in the unity of the body. Okay, but the issue is this: when injustice is being committed, right? I believe it's righteousness to continue to speak up about it, right? And that is the role of the prophets. Okay, what we see in the Old Testament is the prophets continue to speak even when nobody was listening to them. They refused to be silent, and they annoyed the heck 
out of the uh, of the unrighteous leaders, right? Ahab was annoyed by Elijah, right? You troublemaker, you troubler of Israel, right? Because he won't shut up about things that, you know, the king doesn't want people talking about, right? Namely his sin, <laughs> right? And Elijah won't shut up about that. So there is an aspect of the prophetic where you feel compelled to speak out, right? And you speak so you you speak forth incessantly and forcefully, okay? And I believe there's an aspect of righteousness to that, and there is a time for that, okay? Where I think the other extreme is, though, is that when we get hurt, we can speak out, and our hurt causes us to speak out unrighteous judgments, okay? In the IHOP situation, I can tell you, almost certainly there was a lot of that going around, okay? I heard so many accusations on Twitter right, and other social media outlets where people were accusing the entire leadership team of IHOP of having a massive cover-up and doing so with malicious intent, right? They're covering up their own sin issues, right? They're covering for Mike Bickle, all this kind of stuff. And I have to say my guess is that most of that is is wrong, okay? And this is the danger. It's it's hard to be a, a pure prophetic voice, okay? It's very hard, okay? And we should have humility that when we're personally hurt, there's no way to be a pure prophetic voice, right? Our offense makes it impossible for us to see clearly, all right? And that's why my rule of thumb is when I'm personally hurt, I shut up about it, <laughs> okay? I shut my mouth about stuff when I'm when I know I'm personally hurt because I'm biased. Okay, I know my bias is going to get in there. Okay, and then I go through a period of healing, and then the later season I could talk about it from a more objective standpoint. Okay, and that's why there should be people that are not personally hurt and offended who can speak out from a more objective place. And I believe in this IHOP situation, you did have many of those people. Okay, you had guys like, you know, maybe Sam Storms, right, or, you know, some of the advocacy group, I think initially, when they initially spoke out, it didn't seem like there was, there was strong offense or anything like that, you know. It's the place of those who are not offended, but are, who are, de- are deeply concerned about things, to be those prophetic voices, okay, and the danger is when people who are very hurt themselves are trying to be those prophetic voices, inevitably there's going to be some unrighteous judgment, okay, and that's what I think Michael Brown was trying to put a stop to, okay? Because that unrighteous judgment, it empowers every voice of demonic accusation that can come against people, right? And what that does is it drives the division farther, makes it harder um, to bring reconciliation and healing in, in these types of things, okay? So to recap, what I'm saying is I think social media was an important tool, that it was right, for some people to use it to speak out and to not be silent, even though they were being told you need to be silent. I think it was right for the, for many people to speak out, okay? Um, for people that were personally hurt, I think it would have been better for them not to speak out, but I totally understand why they did, right? When you're hurt, <laughs> you know, it's hard to be silent. I completely get that because I've wrestled with that temptation many times myself, okay? I get that, all right? But it doesn't change the fact that it's better not to speak out if we're personally hurt to, to you know, clarify that we, you know, uh, we have to recognize that we can be influenced in a negative way. We can be skewed in our in our vision of things, okay? That's totally natural for all of us, okay? Um, and, 
you know, for the IHOP leadership team. And again, I'm speaking as an outsider, so I don't, I don't know the nuances here. All right, I'm, I'm guessing at this point. Okay, it seems like they had a rule where they wanted to prevent gossip, which is righteous. That's good, but that rule is being taken to an extreme to prevent unmasking of unrighteousness, and that's why it was controlling in that sense. Okay, and that's why in ministries, you know, in my experience, there's lots of things that do that are like that. You might have a rule, and it might have a good intention, and there might be some good aspects about it, but it can be taken to an unhealthy place. That happens all the time, right? In in pretty much every ministry I've ever been a part of, right? An example in my last in my last you know church, um, this the senior pastor there told me no prophecy, zero prophecy, and I think that's a bad rule, okay? Now, do I understand why he gave that rule? Yeah, I can understand. It's because he doesn't want bad prophecy. I get that. And probably he expected if I was going to try, if we were going to have prophecy in our group, it was going to be bad prophecy. I get it, (laughs) okay? I don't want bad prophecy either. But that rule's a bad rule. And in fact, it's an unbiblical, it's an anti-biblical rule. The Bible expressly forbids forbidding prophecy. In fact, we're we're to eagerly desire it. Okay, but I understand the heart of the rule, and that's and that's the important part because you want to when there's bad rules like that. My personal policy is I try to obey the spirit of the rule. I try and obey the good aspects of the spirit of the rule. All of us have to do our best to follow the Lord. Okay. Now the second thing um, and the last thing that I'm going to talk about when it comes to IHOP is does that mean that everything was a lie? Right? If Mike Bickle was untrustworthy when it comes to you know his righteousness and his you know all this kind of stuff. Does that mean all the prophetic stories were a lie? You know, the entire purpose and mandate of IHOP, is that all a lie? And, um, you know, I just want to say, I don't know. I don't know. Were there probably some aspects of it that were hyped or not true? I think it's likely. (laughs) Okay. I think it's likely. Um, But here's what I'm going to counter with. That kind of thing is in almost every ministry. (laughs) Okay. All right, the 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 hyping up, right? Like, look, un- unfortunately, like w- if we look at let's, let's say in 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 leadership practice or in, in business, one of the major aspects of business is marketing, right? Marketing is where you're advertising and you're you're sending your message. Okay, do pro do companies that advertise lie about the products? Yeah. <laughs> Right, but there's there's a line between outright deception and hyping up a product in a way that is you know dishonest, but not explicitly so. If that makes sense, right? If they're implying that if you drink this beer, all these girls are going to want to party with you, <laughs> you know, is it a lie? Kind of, <laughs> right? It's presenting an image that you know is is not true, but it it's it's building some hope in your heart that maybe it could be true. Does that make sense? That's the nature of marketing, right? Most marketing is is kind of dishonest, okay? But it works, okay? But it works because it's building vision. Does that make sense? It it it's a it's a fine line between v- building vision in somebody and lying to them, right? Because the vision is the hope of what could be, and people need that hope to go after something, right? And as a leader, you're not necessarily telling them you're for sure gonna have these the girls partying with you, <laughs> right? Like. There's no leader that's explicitly telling you, you buy this beer, all these girls will want to party with you. No, they're not explicitly telling you that. They're giving you this commercial and this marketing campaign to give that, build that hope 
inside you because maybe that could happen. And for some percentage of people, it does, right? So it's not a lie, it's a hype. And what I'm getting at is that a lot of ministries are hyping everywhere. <laughs> okay, there's a lot of hype going on. And um, was there some of that IHOP? Probably, okay? I don't know to what degree. Um, but the nature of hype is that there's some truth to it too. Does that make sense, right? That's why this can be really tricky because there's some truth and some exaggeration. And if I had to guess, most of the prophecies at IHOP, as well as most of the prophecies and most of the ministries everywhere, have some of both. Okay? There's both. And just I just want to say, as a leader, it's really hard to avoid that. It's one of the reasons why I have such a great appreciation for people like um, the vineyard guy. Oh my gosh, I'm having a mind blank with him. The guy who founded Vineyard, all right? I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but his ministry, he really tried to, he was he made a conscious effort to minimize hype. And, and, and I'll be honest, that's one of the things I actually liked about Mike Bickle, okay? Because in some things, he did try to, to bring down the hype, okay? Because, look, we charismatics are a hypey people, <laughs> okay we're all about that this is the year of increase <laughs> this is the year of breakthrough right it's been the year of breakthrough every year for the past 50 years <laughs> right but is there truth to that word maybe right like what percentage of people in your group are getting breakthrough right if it's 10 percent, could you say that that it's it's a true word because 10 percent of your group got breakthrough this year maybe <laughs> right <laughs> it's hard okay like th this stuff is hard it, it's it's hard to avoid hype and what you're going to find again is the leaders that tend to inspire people tend to be the most hypey okay maybe that's a bad way you know maybe that's a bad characterization i'll just simply say that it's not uncommon <laughs> okay for leaders to hype stuff up okay um but i need to be clear Hype is wrong, okay? I'm I'm sure if we look back <laughs> in my own history, okay, we can find some examples of hype, all right? So I'm throwing myself into, you know, the bucket here and saying we leaders need to be careful of hype and specifically religious elitism. And what I'm getting at is in the charismatic world, when you get real vision from the Lord, okay, um, that's a good thing. Like the Lord speaks to you and you feel like you have a calling and a mandate and a purpose and 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 there's real power in it. All of that is good, okay? The problem is, in my experience, in my opinion, what happens is the enemy comes along and tries to make you arrogant based on that, saying that, oh, you have this and other people don't, okay? And there could be some truth in that. Right? Like maybe you're living with great vision the season of your life. Like, man, you feel like the Lord really spoke to you and he's leading you, he's calling you, and that's great. That's wonderful. Okay. The danger comes in when you, feel, when you become arrogant and start to judge others as not having that same thing. And that's where it becomes really damaging. Okay. Like the religious elitism. And I just want to say, in many charismatic circles, I've seen this thing. Okay. The Lord rebuked me for this um, at my first ministry um, we used to talk about how we were on the cutting edge of what God was doing I, I remember specifically we used that that language and um, it you know I remember really feeling like oh yeah the Lord 
is using us to bring revival in Berkeley. Like we are the epicenter of the revival movement in Berkeley. And that's how I felt. Okay. That is false. <laughs> okay. That is false. Okay. It's, it's not that God can't be using us to bring revival. Okay. But we don't know what's going on elsewhere in the city. Like, we don't know what the Lord has spoken to other ministries and to other churches and how important they might be in God's plans, right? Like, there's, there's a temptation to become overly fixated on, you know, what God has called us to do without appreciating what God has called others to do, if that makes sense. And um, and that's really damaging, okay? Like, IHOP, I've really appreciated IHOP in many ways. I think they're, they have been a, a, a really awesome ministry, Um but like every ministry, I'm sure they've had their issues. Now, a lot of their issues have come been made manifest here. <laughs> okay. But the question is, you know, was it was any of it from God? I would say, yeah. Yeah. All right. IOP has had a great, um, has had some great fruit in training up, you know, musicians and intercessors and singers. And so much prayer has gone forth from that place. In my opinion, a lot of that is really, really good. Okay. But the question is, IHOP, you know, the greatest, you know, prayer ministry on the planet? Probably not. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know, right? <laughs> there's so many ministries. Like, I don't know, right? But the, 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 but the problem is there's probably, like, this prayer group in, in India, right? And they're, like, fasting and praying and experiencing miracles at a, 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 a degree that is way beyond any of us have ever experienced, but nobody knows about them, right? They're in some random little town in India, and the truth is, there's probably a lot of that kind of thing going on, and we have no clue because we're just humans, and we just see our own little bubble. Does that make sense? We see our own bubble, and then we see the bubble that's hyped on social media and stuff like that. But the reality is most of what God is doing around the earth is unseen, okay? It's unseen, and it's easy for us to become so um, arrogant when it, feel, when it seems like God is moving through us or in us, Again, that that's a wonderful thing. It's beautiful, okay? Um, but in the same way that I counseled before, don't let's not idolize leaders and let's not demonize them. In the same way, let's not think that God is only moving here or he was really moving here or was super powerful to, oh, was he ever moving here, right? Those are two extremes that I think are are, are both not not healthy, all right? No, he's, he's, he's been moving at IHOP for, you know, 20-something years now, 30 years, I don't know how long it's been going on. Um, and he's been moving elsewhere, okay? And the the hope of the church is that we would appreciate one another's true ministry before God, right? And the, the body of Christ is diverse, and it's vast. We're all doing different things, and by God's grace, hopefully we're all doing things that are important. Now, obviously, some of us are doing things that are, are semi-more important, but none of us are doing something that's so important. Like, revival does not hinge on me, right? Or on your ministry, or what you're doing, and, um, and that's a trap we can fall into. Let's not fall into that trap. No, the, the Bible's teaching is that we're all gifted in a variety of ways, and that's because we need all the parts of the body to function in their, in their gifting and in, the, in a maturity so that we can be the true body of Christ, okay? If I'm the eye and I'm doing really, really well, if the rest of the body isn't working like it's supposed to, I'm still kind of a weird guy, right? <laughs> like my body's not right. It's just my eye works really well, <laughs> but I can't walk and my thumbs are they're missing and 
right? Like there's still a long way. Like we need all of the body, okay, to work. And so I simply say that in whatever way that this brings humility to people in the body of Christ and to those of us that, you know, have championed the quote-unquote prayer movement, okay, let's be real. The prayer movement, I love the prayer movement, but the prayer movement is not necessarily better than the church movement or, you know, the missions movement or, you know, like there's so many important movements in the body of Christ and we need them all, right, functioning um, in their in their calling. And so for some people, I do think, you know, they're going to depart from the prayer movement at this point. Um, it could be that God's calling some of them. But the point is this, don't despise what God did through that movement. Right, God's doing good stuff in the prayer movement. I love the prayer movement. Okay, um, but again, it, it's just one part of the body of Christ, and you know the the lack in that movement I think is is becoming more obvious. Right, generally speaking, the prayer movement you tend to have a, a larger percentage of prophets. Okay, and I love prophets. Okay, but prophets can get kind of abusive and you know have lots of problems when it comes to pastoral care, just caring for people, being you know, down to earth, and, <laughs> right? And and that's that's the nature of it, the, because the body of Christ is supposed to be united together, right? When when we're united together as we are, then we won't have these parts of the body that are in their own corners doing their own thing, right? But we'll, we'll be integrated in a healthy manner, right? Where we appreciate one another and depend on one another well. And um, and that's what we need in, in, in the larger body of Christ, okay? So I would simply say, you know, IHOP and Kansas City, I don't believe, are essential to the plans of God, right? Um, he can always find other people to use, right? Like, I, I don't think any one person is, is essential. God, you know, Jesus is essential to the Father's plan. You and I <laughs> can be replaced, right? And and that's true, and that's okay. And it doesn't demean what God really does through us, but it gives us humility in, in terms of the sense of our own importance, okay? Um, so I would say that, yeah, I think there should be an examination of the prophecies that were given over IHOP and the prophetic history and what the, what the community feels called to do. It might be that the Lord um, orchestrates the end of IHOP. Um, it could be. I hope not. You know, my hope is that I will continue um, under some different leaders, and it will continue to bear fruit, and and that'll be wonderful, right? But my, you know, my hope has, uh, on a personal level, um, I've always my hope has always been more along the upper room model in the sense of the 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 prayer, the the lifestyle of prayer and worship, right, being integrated into the life of the church. Uh, at large, right? And to be clear, I'm not saying Upper Room has the only, has a monopoly on that model or something like that. There's lots of different ways to do it. Um, but but that's my point. There's lots of different ways to do it, right? And so the core DNA of what IHOP had, my hope is that it will be infused, you know, into the, the wider body of Christ. And, you know, that's been my hope for a long time. And, and IHOP doesn't have a monopoly on that. Like, honestly, the way IHOP does their house of prayer, like, I, I think it's really great. Um, but I personally don't like doing it like that. <laughs> okay you know not that my way is so much better i'm just saying there's there's room for a variety of styles when it comes to prayer and worship and stuff like that 
And I'm sure that the bot, like, I, from my perspective, we're still largely at the beginning of this thing. And there's so many ways for prayer and worship to evolve and to get better and better and for us to see our giftings expanded and for the body of Christ to in- incorporate prayer and worship into all the necessary ministry of the church, right? So I'm I'm hopeful for all of that, right? Um and I am hopeful for those who have been, you know, wounded and, you know, even the people that have been abused at IHOP. I just want to lovingly say, um, unfortunately, this happens a lot in the body of Christ. And it's all different. You know, I, I'm not saying that your experience of pain is is unremarkable. That's not my point. Um, my only point is that, you know, having been, you know, a leader in many different church ministries, having you know, seeing what happens in a lot of missions organizations and missions, I can just tell you, there's just so much pain. Anybody who tries to follow God will have trouble in this life. <laughs> okay, there's no way around it. I, and the hard part is that um, we have to go through the trials and the suffering. The Lord makes it clear that this is part of the, His plan for our lives, is going through trials and suffering. And my encouragement is that um, there is real healing, and there's a purpose in it that when God restores, He restores better than new. I truly believe that He restores better than new. So we come out with even more wisdom, greater character, more fit um, to lead and to and to rule in the body of Christ, which is our eternal calling, right? And so that's my hope to those who have been um, hurt and wounded through this experience. I pray for grace that you'd be able to fully forgive those who have wronged you. I do pray that there would be a full repentance um, wherever there was sin committed. Um, But all of us in humility understand that, you know, we all are one at the cross, right? We all have fallen short of the God's grace and his perfect standard, his righteousness, and we're all in need of his mercy in our lives. And so my prayer is that there would be true and full restoration. Um, And and it's going to be so much better I just want to speak even to the the leaders at IHOP. God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it to good if we will trust him and follow him through the process. And I I believe that's true, okay? Um, So my hope is that there would be full restoration for for all of us that are sincerely following the Lord. Um, And I, I believe he's going to do it, okay? All right, God bless. Hope you guys have a wonderful week.